Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It is Christmas season, and one of the things that, that happens during Christmas season is that you find out something about people. And as I've reflected on Christmas this year, one of the things I've determined is that there are at least three types of people. Three types of people. Uh, one type, and I, well, I want you to ask yourself, which type am I? Okay? One type of people are people that celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. You do your big Christmas celebration. The whole family gets together. You open presents. You have a meal. You do whatever. If you are a Christmas Eve celebrating Christmas family, then just raise your hand. I wanted to see. Are there any Christmas Eve folks out there? Okay, yeah, quite a few. Okay? That's one type. A second type of person, though, is a Christmas day or Christmas morning or Christmas evening Christmas family. You have your big Christmas celebration as a family at some point on Christmas Day. Not Christmas Eve, but Christmas Day. If, if that describes you and your family, let me see a show of hands there. Okay, not a surprise, a lot of people. One of the things I'm finding out this year is that there is a third variety of people, and that is people whose family situation has become complex and large enough that the only time you can get your family together for Christmas is on March the 17th, okay? How many of you have a situation where your, your situation is so complicated that you can't get together on the actual holiday, so you're going to do it on some other day than Christmas or Christmas Eve? How many? We've got a few of those, right? Uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the way that, that our, our family is. As a matter of fact, in my life, I've been a part of each of those three groups, uh, growing up, we were a Christmas Eve family, uh, married into a Christmas Day family, bonus, two days. Um, and uh, this year, finding out just with my sister coming in from out of town and us going up with it, we were going to have to celebrate sometime before Christmas. And so uh, I, I, I relate to you, no matter which of those three you are. Um, but, you know, as growing up, I mentioned I was a Christmas Eve family. And growing up as a child, I always thought that Christmas came so late Christmas came so late, I just couldn't wait for it to get there, right? And our family on Christmas Eve, what we would do to celebrate Christmas is we would all go to a Christmas Eve service at the church that we attended, and after the service, we would come home directly, do not pass go, and we would, we would have our Christmas gift exchange. As soon as the service was over, we would come home and we would exchange presents. Now, I figured this out pretty early on because our church did the same thing, had kind of a, a ritual in the way that we did our Christmas Eve service. The service would end with communion. There was no wrap-up following communion. Therefore, if you sat in the front of the church, you could get through communion and get home to the gifts before the people at the back row even got the juice and the bread. So that's what we would do. I would herd my family to the front, we would sit up front, we would come, we would get, get our, our, our elements, we would have our moment of worship, and we would go blazing home as I would be hurting them. The other advantage is you can't stop and talk. Everybody else is behind you. You're, you're going. You're not interrupting worship. You're getting home to the gifts. And that was the, the experience of my family at Christmas, and that was kind of my role at our family was the herder. One year, the, the, the pastor actually uh, did this in the service. He, he, he made some joke about how the last shall be first, and he had the people at the back of the church come up first for communion, that was not cool, all right? I still have not gotten over that fact. 
Um, but, but the reality was, when I was a child, Christmas always seemed so late. I couldn't wait for it to get there. Now, as an adult, Christmas always seems to come so early, right? I mean, how many of you have already uttered the words to someone in your house, I can't believe it's already December blank. I can't believe it's already the, the second Sunday of Advent. I can't believe it's already, I can't believe it's this many weeks, this many days, I've got to get cards out, I've got to get gifts purchased, got to get food bought, I've got to do all these things. You know, I can't believe it's already, as an adult, Christmas comes so early. We all would love just a little more time, it seems. But one of the things that has hit me as I look at the Scripture and I ponder what God says about the Christmas holiday um, and the coming of Christ is, biblically speaking, Christmas, the very first Christmas when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, did not come too late, and it did not come too early. But Christmas actually came right on schedule. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Uh, the passage of Scripture um, that I believe really helps us to understand that Christmas did come right on schedule. And we're going to look at that in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when we see that Christmas is right on schedule. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 and 5. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read these verses for us, and then we're going to back up and kind of dive in a little more in depth to see uh, what it is that, that God has for us from these verses today. And we're going to see that in kind of two movements. But first of all, let's just read these verses together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And when we look at those verses, really we're going to look at it in two movements. We're going to see two things about how Christmas is right on schedule. Uh, The first thing that we're going to see is in the very first part of chapter 4, and that is that Christmas did come right on schedule. Christmas came right on schedule. It says it very explicitly in the text. It said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus was born. God sent him forth into the world at the fullness of time. Now, what does it mean to to talk about the fullness of time? Well, the fullness of time, if we might translate it this way, at the exact right moment, When everything was set up just right, Jesus was born. And the decision on when it was the exact right time for Jesus to be born was a decision that was made by our Heavenly Father, who was outside of time looking at the events that were unfolding and determining the exact right moment when His Son would be sent forth into the world. And we see that from the greater context of Galatians 4. You see, in Galatians 4 and verse 2, we understand the context of that the statement that we're looking at today was of a father raising a son. You see, in, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, 
The transition from a child to adulthood was something that the father would say at the appropriate time. So a father would come to his son at the appropriate time and say, Son, you are no longer a child. Son, you are a man. And there were privileges that came along with that. There were opportunities that came along with that. Many times it was about the 14th birthday of the son when the father would say, you are now a man. But it didn't always have to be. It was at the discretion of the father when he would choose the right moment, the right time to say, you are um, a man. You know, we, we have kind of a, a similar thing. Some, I know several dads at Wildwood have done something similar when their children turn a certain age. Uh, Raising a Modern Day Night a book by Robert Lewis that talks about these moments when fathers speak into their son's life and say, today, son, I recognize that you are no longer a child, you are a man. In the context of Galatians 4 is that the Heavenly Father was looking at humanity on the earth, and he, he saw that the time was right for Christ to come when he saw that the earth had matured to the point that it was ready to receive the Savior. See, the right time for Jesus to come, the fullness of time, was when God thought it was the right moment for his son to come because the earth had matured to a certain spot. Now, how is it that God knew that? What did God do to mature the the planet, to mature humanity, to get them ready to receive his son? Well, back in chapter 3 and verse 24 of Galatians, we find out exactly how God knew it was the right time and exactly how God prepared the earth for the arrival of his son. Chapter 3, verse 24 of Galatians says this, So then the law was our pedagogue to Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. See, it's saying that the law, the Old Testament, was a tutor, was a pedagogue to mature humanity to the point that the Son of God's arrival in Bethlehem would make sense. That was the point of the Old Testament. It was a pedagogue. It was a tutor. It was to mature the earth. You know, in, in Old uh, Testament, in, in, in Middle Eastern times, many times rich parents would hire a pedagogue or a tutor to help discipline the child and prepare them for adulthood. And what Galatians 3.24 tells us is that God gave the Old Testament, God gave the law and all that is in our Old Testament to prepare us for the reception of what Jesus was going to offer. And at the very right moment, after all of the preparation had been made through the giving of the Old Testament, God sent forth His Son at the fullness of time when the world was ready to hear it. So the question we ought to ask ourselves is, in what way does God prepare us for Jesus through the law? In what way does the law prepare us for Christ? Well, you think about that. What are some of the things that we learn in the law? Well, one of the things that we learn in the law in the Old Testament is that God is not like us. You know, every religion in the world has a, uh, some concept of God, pretty much. They may have many gods, might have a few, but, but one of the common characteristics of gods in other religions is that they're very similar in many ways to humans. But our Bible, the law, begins with the statement that in the beginning, God already was. 
God is not like us because he is eternal. And this eternal God that did not have to create anything chose to create this planet. And he chose to create this planet because he wanted to have a relationship with humanity. So he created them in his image. And he placed them in a garden where he would visit with them regularly. See, the law prepares us for Christ because it lets us know that this God who is not like us created us in his image so that we might have a relationship with him. But the the law goes on. It doesn't just say that. The law also prepares us for Christ by informing us that all of us have sin within our lives. Right? The law lists out a set of commandments and shows that God is holy. Ten commandments that are expanded in the books of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy and explain for us even more. But these ten commandments show that God is holy. One of the things that happens as people live with the Ten Commandments is they find that God is holy and I'm not. God is perfect and I fall short. The law helps us to understand that. The law goes further than just showing us that God's holy and we're not, that that he's perfect and we fall short. But the law says that because we fall short, there is a death that is necessary. The book of Leviticus explains in great detail the amount of sacrifices, animal sacrifices, that would be necessary as temporary coverings for people's sin. It helped as, as all of those animals were slain as a part of worship in the Old Testament time, it taught over and over again that the wages of sin was death. Because we are sinful, there was a death that was necessary to be paid. The law teaches us that. The law doesn't just teach us that, though. The law also teaches us that God is powerful. That God can do anything that he wants to. So that when Jesus comes along later on and Jesus lives this this life and he's performing these miracles, people will look at it and go, you know what? The kinds of things that Christ is doing now remind me of what we've seen God do in the Old Testament. That must be God. When Jesus goes to die on the cross for our sins, the understanding that, that death was necessary as payment for sin makes sense because of how the law prepared us for that truth. All along. You see, when the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, in the first part of verse 4, that at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, what he's saying is God had done all the preparing, all the teaching that he wanted to do through the Old Testament law so that people would understand Christ in the proper context. See, it was the plan all along, but it took many, many years to get there. From the time God created the earth and placed Adam and Eve in the garden, it was thousands of years before Jesus would actually be born. God hadn't forgotten about humanity. He hadn't forgotten about how to save them. He hadn't forgotten his desire to have a relationship with them. God was preparing us and preparing the world for the right moment. He was maturing us over time as a father to a son to the point that he says, okay, you're an adult now. You're ready to, res- to, to see a presentation of my grace and of my glory that you've never seen before. That's what happened when Christ was born. God had been teaching us through the law to prepare us for that day. Now, now what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, one of the things I think that we, we need to do with it is we need to remember something that, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I taught uh, uh, some lessons out of the life of Abraham. And one of the things we looked at in Abraham's life was that Abraham never realized the fulfillment in, in his lifetime of all the pro- things that God had promised him. 
that one day God would make good on all those things. But he, they, there was some time that went by from the time it was promised till the time it was revealed. And, you know, the reality is that all of us spend our lives waiting for things. We spend our lives waiting for things. There are things that are, are, that, are, that are realities right now that you would love to change. There are things that you feel like God has promised right now that haven't yet materialized. And in the midst of all of that, passages like this that show us that God was preparing for thousands of years and teaching his people for the right moment at the fullness of time to send his son ought to remind us that God has not forgotten about you as you wait for whatever you're waiting for. One of the things this passage does for us is it teaches us to be patient upon God because he will always make good on what he promises. And God promised Adam and Eve in the garden to send forth the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the snake and provide hope for humanity. 4,000 years later, Christ came and did that. One of the things we need to remember is we need to remember to have patience. One of the things we need to do. But, but another thing that we, we can do as we process this information is we need to remember that knowing that God was preparing us for Christ throughout the Old Testament ought to help us in a reading and understanding of what the Old Testament has to say. We ought to better understand the Old Testament with the knowledge that Christ was we were being prepared for Christ all along. And, and, you know, there's a video that I want to show us this morning that will help focus our hearts on this truth a little more. And it's a video, uh, the, the, the audio is from Tim Keller, who's a pastor of a church in New York City, um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Um, and somebody has added some visuals to it, and through the wonder of the Internet, we have the opportunity to see it this morning. But it's a great way for, to help us understand just how God was preparing us for Christ through the Old Testament law. Let's uh, take a look.
right. You know, it's a, just a powerful reminder of what God was teaching us as a people, as a human race, and the days leading up to the birth of the Savior. One of the things that we see is that Christmas came right on schedule. But a second thing I want us to see today is as the verses continue, see that Christmas is basically a home study. Christmas is basically a home study. Now, now one of the things that we see at the end of verse 5 is that Christmas and the coming of Christ in Bethlehem is is, is about an adoption so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christmas is a story of adoption. Now, some have said incorrectly that Christmas is a story of adoption and that God adopted Jesus and said, you will be my representative. No, that's not the case at all. It says the Son was sent forth from the Father. The Son existed eternally. The Son was God himself. See, Christmas is a story of adoption, not because God adopted Jesus. Christmas is a story of adoption This is about God adopting you and me as his children. And, you know, if if any of you have have ever had a friend or you've gone through this personally where you go through the process of adoption, one of the things that happens is that a home study is performed. What happens in a home study is that a representative from an accredited organization will go to the home of a family and will try to verify if that home is safe and fit for the child to enter and live. That's what happens uh, in a home study. You know, it's, it's not something that just happens with, um, with adoption. It's something that happens with a lot of different organizations. I had a, a friend in college who um, signed up to be a, a big brother with uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Cleveland County. And they sent out someone from the organization to do a, a, an interview to see if my friend was going to be an appropriate uh, big brother for the program. And it was really pretty interesting because we were living in a fraternity house at the time. So the home study was going to take place there. And we think, how do we make this presentable so that it looks good for you to have this, this big brother relationship with this person? And so, you know, we did what every guy would do. We, we vacuumed the floor. We thought that would take care of it. So um, we did that. And, and I had to be present, too, because I live with him. And so we were, we were at, at, at his room. We we're waiting for the person to come. And uh, the person comes and comes to our door. And lo and behold, the doorknob breaks. And so we are stuck on one side, they are stuck on the other. It's before the time of cell phones. We're yelling at people through the door for them to come and let us in and let out and, you know, fix the door. And we got this home study and come on. And this, this was a true story. And, you know, the amazing thing about that, just kind of a rest of the story moment, is that uh, they actually were approved. Um, so I don't know if that in- in- encourages you with the home study process or, or not, but uh, that's how that situation actually played out. But, you know, a home study happens when somebody comes and evaluates the situation to see if you are a fit family for this person. Now, what's interesting with saying that Christmas is really a home study, what we're saying is not that Jesus came to the planet to evaluate us to see if we are worthy for acceptance into his family. None of us are worthy. That was the criteria. He would have come, take a quick look around, and go right back to heaven. See, the home study that Christ embarked on that very first Christmas was not so that he could evaluate us. It was so that we could see him. 
and we could understand what our God was really like and what he was offering us and how much and to what great lengths he would go to secure an opportunity for us to relate to him. See, Christmas is a home study, but it's a home study for us to get the chance to evaluate him. And you know, when you have a home study, a lot of times it's a representative from an organization that comes to the family. But what's amazing when you see the home study that God did to show us the extent of his love was a home study that God went on himself. God himself came. Look at what it says in verse 4. God sent forth his son. He sent him forth. The idea of God sending forth his son is the idea that Jesus who was born was God himself. Again, we see these babies up on stage at the dedication today, and it ought to just blow us away to think that God took on that life. God took on the life of a baby. The one that came for us to evaluate was God himself. When we look at the life of Christ, we are looking at the face of God. We are understanding what God is like, his character, his compassion, the kinds of things that he does. You see, the home study was done by God himself. What's interesting is it doesn't just say God sent forth his son. It says God sent forth his son born of a woman. Just as son of God is an indication of his deity, born of a woman is an indication of his humanity. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. That means that he humbled himself to the point that he would be hungry and sleepy and in need of physical things for the sustaining of his life. He took that upon himself whenever he was born on the planet. He took upon himself the the opportunity to die. An eternal God must take on a human body in order for him to die. He was born of a woman. He was fully God. He was fully man. He would go through experiences like we go through. He was tempted, yet without sin. He experienced disappointment and despair. So that we can relate to a Savior that understands what we're going through. See, he was the Son of God, born of woman. Then it goes on. He was born under the law. What does that mean? The idea is that Jesus was born at a time when the contract between God and man was still governed by the law of the Old Testament. Jesus lived under that law that defined the holy standard of God. And unlike every other person that has ever lived on the planet, he achieved it perfectly. Jesus didn't just know the law, he lived the law, and that was unique. And because he lived the law perfectly, he himself was not a sinful person. He himself did not have to pay any kind of consequence for his own sin. He lived a totally righteous life. And since he was born under the law, and since he lived a life that was perfect, he has the opportunity to redeem us who are under the law and allow us to become children of God, sons of God. See, the the idea is that the righteous life that Christ lived is credited to the lives of sinful people like you and me, and, and our sin was credited to Him and fully paid for on the cross. What it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 is this, 
It says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the truth of Christmas is that Jesus, the Son of God, born of a woman, lived out the law perfectly, but then died on the cross to take payment, our wages of sin, He made payment so that we might have life in Him. His righteousness was credited to our account. And you know, for, for some of us who are here today, this is, a, this is a, a blessed truth that we've embraced for many years. We hear that and we go, God, thank you for what you have offered us. Thank you for, for coming down to the earth and for living out the perfect righteous standard and, and coming in a human form so that you could actually die on the cross and make payment for my sins. Thank you for doing that. Some of us, that at this Christmas, we need to just thank Him and worship Him for that truth that we already know. But there are others here today, I, I believe, that for the first time are really wrestling with this fact. For the first time, you're really wrestling with the notion that Jesus being born in Bethlehem has something seriously to do with our lives today. It's not just a quaint story, but it's an offer of salvation. It's the offer of a righteous life to cover over our sinful one. It's the offer of Christ's death making the payment that our sin deserves. It's the offer of having a relationship with the eternal God that was severed and broken all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We now have the opportunity as we look back on the birth and the life and the death of Christ to have a relationship with God that would otherwise be impossible. And some here today are probably hearing that for the first time and and pondering it. And if, if that's you today and you're wrestling with that, know that what God is asking you to do in response to that, in order for that Christmas story to have this pertinent saving message for your life, is for you to just embrace by faith that it's His life that makes you holy, and that it's His his death that paid the penalty for our sins. You believe that truth, and life is yours. See, my question for all of us is, what are we doing with the home study of Christ this Christmas? What are we going to do with it? Over the next 20 days, are you and are your family going to take the time to examine Christ that we might worship Him, that we might follow Him, we might know Him even more? You know, one of the things that, that we're doing at Wildwood this Christmas to help in, in that regard is uh, we're, uh, I'm, I'm writing some devotionals every day uh, during the month of December. I started December 1st all the way through December 25th. And each of those devotions are an, an opportunity for you or for your family to uh, reflect upon some of what we saw in the Keller video earlier, to reflect upon how we can come to know Christ by looking all the way back from creation all the way up to the cross and how Christmas plays into all that. And uh, we, we've got those devotions housed on my blog, which is wildwoodmark.com, or you can find it by going to our website. Um, and, and certainly, this is not the only thing you can do. There are a lot of opportunities, but it's one thing that you could do this Christmas to help participate in the home study as a family, to look at the truth of Christ, to examine Him and to worship Him anew uh, this, this, this Christmas. Um, you know, it's, the, the devotionals I'm writing are, are, are tying back 
in some respects, to the Jesse tree. If any of you have ever done a Jesse tree before, uh, there's some books you can, you can Google or go to Amazon and find, but the Jesse tree uh, is an opportunity as a family to worship by thinking through how we see Christ through the Old Testament and how God was teaching us through the pedagogue of the law all the way up to the time when Christ came. See, Christmas did not come early. Christmas did not come late. It came right on schedule. And we have the opportunity to look to the manger and see the Son of God this Christmas. Let me uh, pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to worship with your people and to look into your word together. Father, I, I pray that this year, uh, just knowing that you had a plan that you were working all along for the birth of your son ought to encourage us today that you make good on your promises. And Father, even though it may look like things are developing slowly from our perspective, you're working your plan in your time to accomplish your purposes for your people. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, I I just want to pray today that all of us would take the chance over the next three weeks to examine you, to look to the manger, to see the Son of God, and in turn that you would help us to worship. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.